White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. I am with Chris Tannehill. Chris, what episode is it tonight? Oh, I lose track of these things. Thanks for asking me how I'm doing, Dick. Um, I, I don't care about you this, saw me already. Mailbag Monday. Yeah, yeah, you already saw me at work, so you know how I'm doing. I'm either doing good or bad. Uh, we'll fill it in later. Uh, I, I'm doing fine. Um, yeah, it is episode number 64. We're plowing along here. Uh, thanks to everyone who listened to yesterday, yesterday's uh Grade recap of uh, of the bench players. We'll have the starting nine tomorrow. Uh, grades will be doled out. So uh, you know, be on the lookout. And uh, if you're Nick Madrigal's parents, I'd get the whooping stick ready. If you have a room uh, dedicated to your whoopings, like uh, Adrian Peterson did, you may want to prepare that room uh, for your your son Nick Madrigal. But yeah, here we are, episode sixty four of Locked On White Sox. You can't believe it, and we're really just. Uh, we, you know, we gotta, we gotta, like Andrew Dufresne here, we gotta tunnel through all the shit here to, to get to some of the good ones in the 70s. Um, but yeah, 64, uh, not an incredibly, uh, prestigious number for the White Sox. Alex McCray, if you blinked, you missed him here in 2020. Josh Osich, uh, I believe, uh, wound up with the Cubs this year. Did he not, Josh? Josh yeah, I can't even say the name. Josh Osich, I think he found his Josh way. Josh Osich was a Cub. Yeah. Uh, for four games. Yeah, David Holmberg, uh, Matt Perk, uh, who came out to the Percolator. Do you remember that about Matt Perk when he was? Uh, I don't. But that's yeah. a good. That's a good choice, Matt Perk. Obviously, or is that the people with the uh, with the audio up there with the uh, Chris Hubble? I think I think that was Hubble. Chris Hubble. Yeah, yeah Chris that had Hubble. to have been Hubble. Yeah, Sox nerd. Exactly. No, that's two different guys, isn't it? Isn't I know there are two different. Oh, guys. Yeah. Sox nerd works up there too. He does. He? he does the graphics. I think. So yeah. Soxner does graphics, and I think Hubble is still there. He wasn't there this year, obviously, but yeah, uh, the Percolator was a great call uh, to have someone's entrance music. Um, yeah, it's time for the Percolator. You remember that one? It's time for the Percolator. It's time for the Percolator. Uh, Emilio Bonifacio uh, in 2015 wore 64. Uh, but if you're just going by criteria, number of seasons, uh, wearing the number, uh, we won't get too much into this, but. Andre Rienzo, and I and I believe all the language Richards out there, uh, I think there's a, a special pronunciation to this name because uh, it's it's uh, a Brazilian name. So I think people said it was technically pronounced Hienzo, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. H. Yeah, I think that was uh, Wayne Randazzo. Yeah, uh, pronounced it as Andre Hienzo. Yeah, he's so cultured. Or maybe it was uh, Jordan Bernfeld. One of the two. Yeah. It was one of those play-by-play guys. It's the same guy. Technical and shit. Same guy. (laughs) That's that's an insult to both of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Andre Hienzo wore number 64 for the White Sox. And, um, you know, not great. It's kind of frustrating to watch uh, his White Sox career. He went uh, 6-8. He was not very good. Um, but he did provide 
for a great Hawk and Wimpy moment. Uh, Stoney not in the booth uh, during uh, his debut, but it sounded like this uh, during Andre Gienzo's debut. And bem-vindos Faz G Baseball, G Toto a Brazil. Você está assistindo White Sox esta noche, G Rod to G Cleveland, Ohio. That is welcome baseball fans across Brazil. You're watching White Sox baseball tonight from Cleveland, Ohio. That was beautiful, Hawkeroo. Now you do it in you, Polish. You, uh, well, I'm going to think about doing it. You, you must have taken Portuguese at uh, Benedictine High in Savannah, didn't you? Portuguese. Yeah. Oh, por- well, uh, rumor yeah. has it that you just set back U.S.-Brazilian uh, tell you what, relations 20 years. John Morgan wrote that. If that's, if that's not what it's supposed to be meant, he, he's in trouble. You did a great job. Yeah. Uh, Portuguese. Um, yeah, that was just, I love that. I just love Hawk and Wimpy every time. And, uh, you know, it's just it's good stuff right there. But, yeah, I, I hereby uh, decree the Andre Rienzo episode of Locked on White Sox, episode 64. I love that clip so much. Uh, yeah, when he, when I heard that, I, there's two things that come to mind. Of course, Samuel Jackson, English motherfucker. And then secondly, uh, of course, it's The Wire. Lester Freeman in the bunk interviewing – uh, all those people on the boat who didn't speak English. <laughs> Gucci, Gucci, Mushi, Mushi, Mushi. That's a good pull right there. Ha, huh, Mishi, Gishi, Gushi, Gushi, Mishi, Mushi, Mushi, motherfucker. Huh? Eh? I got. I got to go. You know what? I think uh, I, I may be taking a week off around Thanksgiving. Maybe not the week of, but the week after, because I got so much PTO stacked up as I'm sure you do too. You well, you did take a, a long ass trip to California, so maybe you don't have as many days as I do. But normally, I watch Sopranos around Christmas. Maybe I'll watch The Wire around Thanksgiving. That's a good pull right there. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, you know, I love that clip because of. For the obvious, Hawk speaking mm-hmm. Portuguese, but also Wim- Wimpy uh, saying port- Portuguese. It's one of my favorite things. And bem vindos faz G Baseball, G Toto a Brazil. Vocês estão assistindo White Sox esta noite, G Rod to G Cleveland, Ohio. And that is welcome baseball fans across Brazil. You're By the way, all the Brazilians uh, in Brazil, when they heard Cleveland, Ohio, they immediately said, ah, we don't care about this. Watching White Sox baseball tonight. <laughs> From Cleveland, Ohio. That was beautiful, Hawkeroo. Now you do it in you, Polish. You, uh, well, I'm going to think about doing it. You, you must have taken Portuguese. At- <laughs> Portuguese. Portuguese. Uh, at uh, Benedictine High in Savannah, didn't you? Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, um, and, I, <laughs> and I love Wimpy's reaction. Uh, just like, just stunned. Yeah. Oh, por- well. Uh- <laughs> it's so good. All right. So. And I do remember like uh, him and I think it was uh, Jan Gomes. Uh, being the only matchup ever between uh, two Brazilian players. I don't remember how it fared. How did it fare? I don't remember who won the head at bat. Probably Jan Gomes hit a long, long home run. Absolutely. uh, Andre Heenzel. Yeah, and that's his first home run of the year. (laughs) His only home run. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure. Uh, But yeah, so episode 64, it's a mailbag Monday. Should we just open the bag already? It's been two weeks since we've opened the bag because guys got fired because we didn't do the mailbag. So shall, shall we just open it? It's kind of heavy, so let's do it. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting kind of heavy. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. Yes, sir. And if uh, you love email like we do, we love your emails. And uh, all season long, all off season long, we'll be reading your emails as well. How can they send their White Sox emails to us, Herb? Send it to lockedonsocks at gmail.com. That is lockedonsocks at gmail.com. You know what? I haven't checked in a long time to see if that Leslie person. Uh, has wrote me anything, wrote us anything, like locked on socks. And sometimes, Leslie, 
him or her would go to my personal email because I have it unlocked on my uh, Twitter at Ecknerwall23 and seeing if that person was writing all that junk he was writing uh, early in the season. I want to go and check because I blocked Leslie, him or her or they, whatever. I don't know if that's that's a very uh, androgynous name, so I don't know if it was a guy or a girl. So LockedOnSox at gmail.com is the way you can text or email any of us, both of us, all of us. Uh, locked on socks at gmail.com. Yeah, how about that? Pete Hand starts us off tonight with the mailbag. Said he was listening to the show, enjoying a built bar. And coincidentally, today we are brought to you today by Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar ever. The new and improved Built Bar is somehow even delicious. Er, as if that was even possible. They have six new flavors to help make them the most delicious, best tasting protein bar ever. They've got new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, carrot cake, apple almond crisp, and lemon almond cheesecake. Not to mention those 12 original flavors that you know and love so well. My favorites, of course, being German chocolate and, of course, banana bread. Herbie, he likes the peanut butter. Built Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They are soft and easy to chew, and they're great if you're a health-conscious person on the go. They're great for losing or maintaining weight while still indulging in a delicious treat that we all love so much. I keep them in my desk drawer at work when 3 o'clock hits and you're, you need a little little chocolate treat to help get you through the day. I like to have a little something to look forward to throughout the course of the day. So middle of my work day, which is three o'clock, that's that's right when I break out my built bar. And you know you're always making a great decision because they are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And if you're on keto diet, it's a great treat to supplement that. For example, Herb's favorite, the peanut butter, a whopping 19 grams of protein in just 180 calories and only five grams of sugar and just five grams of net carbs. Pretty unbelievable. They're amazing. And right now, if you act quickly, they've got a free cooler with your purchase while supplies last. So go to BuiltBar.com and use our promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Built Bar, it's the best-tasting protein bar ever. Nothing bad can happen to the White Sox with Pete Hand leading off a mailbag Monday. There's no games to be played, no games to be lost. So Pete Hand has retained his leadoff spot. Hello, my name is Mr. Hat. Uh, he says, listening to your podcast on this fine Friday morning, enjoying a built bar. Thank you very much, Pete. Uh, there's a couple things I can't get past with the Sox manager position. One, I don't see how Jerry signs off on Hinch or Cora, given his, quote, status in the game. Two, if Larusa does become the manager, which I don't see, I think that is a sign the Sox will be opening the checkbook because he won't set Tony up, up to he won't set Tony up to fail. And third, I really want Eduardo Perez to get a serious look. I personally feel he could be the next great manager, and I want the next great manager. Great show as always. Thank you, Pete. You're a great contributor as always. We appreciate you. All right, so there's a lot a lot of layers there. Uh, the the Tres Leches email from Pete Hand. Uh, one, do you think that Jerry would uh, not sign off on Hinch or Cora just because of their, their tarnished reputation in the game? Uh... Oh, that's so hard. I would say no. I think if Jerry is allowing his guy, Rick Hahn, to interview him, he would give Rick and or Kenny the ability to sign off on hiring those guys. Maybe not his cup of tea, but I would hope if Jerry is hiring Rick and Kenny to do baseball operations, he allows them to do that. And we all know that this Tony La Russa thing is not a Rick Hahn thing. This is not Rick Hahn saying, hey, let's let's go and interview a 76-year-old dude that hasn't managed in nine years. This is a favor for Jerry, humoring him for a little bit, 
and then getting to those real candidates once the World Series is over. Um, so I don't think he'll hold Rick back from that. He'll appreciate the gesture that Rick did for him and his good friend Tony La Russa and say, okay, go ahead and hire your guy. And if Tony is that guy, which I don't think he will be, I think that uh, Jerry allowed that to happen. Yeah, I, I think that Jerry wouldn't overstep just on the, the, the cheating stuff alone. I think he would listen to his guys. And if, if Rick and Kenny really vouched for what people had to say about him as a, as a leader of men, be it Hinch or Cora, I don't think Jerry would overstep uh, because of, of the cheating stuff. Like, I, I just, you know, I think he would defer to his people on that one. It doesn't seem like that seems something relatively small for Jerry to step out on the ledge uh, uh, and, and veto. So, you know, as far as the, the, the Rusa thing, I like that angle of it about uh, not wanting to set Tony up to fail. So if Tony comes in, but also if Tony comes in and says, hey, uh, he, he may just be happy to have a gig and he may not say, hey, we got to spend some money in here. He may just be complacent and be like, hey, thanks, thanks for hiring me for my retirement gig and I won't ruffle any feathers around here. I worry about that, but I do like that as an angle as you know, uh, an experienced baseball person telling Jerry, like, look, you need to beef up this payroll a little bit if you really want to contend. I like that angle to it. Um, thirdly, the Eduardo Perez thing, that's a name that I have not heard. I know he was uh, thrown uh, about there when the Mets were looking. Uh, Eduardo Perez, kind of a, a an off-the-beaten-path name there, but that's a guy who's coached with the Astros and with the Marlins. And, you know, I, don't, I haven't heard much about him um, as a leader or what players think about him just, just as a guy. Um, but it's certainly, I think, worthy of, of getting an interview, and maybe we'll explore this possibility later on in the week. But I, that's a good call by Pete. The only thing I remember about Eduardo Perez, really, uh, at least from a baseball field, was opening night 2006 after the Sox raised the banner. Mark Burley's out there pitching uh, against the Indians, and that's where Eduardo Perez was at the time. He grounded out to, I believe it was third base, and he fell over in the batter's box on national television, and we all had a good laugh uh, drinking our motor lights up there uh, in the sweet level that night. So, yeah, it was pretty embarrassing there. But, yeah, I haven't heard a lot about Eduardo Perez. It's a situation where I don't think he's been on a bench in, in some time you know doing a lot of tv work uh, getting them right out of the broadcast booth but it didn't stop the cubs uh, from from hiring david ross so what do you think about that name eduardo perez um i've never been really uh a fan of his not that i'm a detractor of his but i don't know what he does you don't hear a lot about him you know all these years like you never heard yeah, any, like, like joe espada people are like oh joe espada he's gonna be the dude you never really heard much or you hear a lot about sandy alomar bilingual relatable guy smart guy you never hear a lot of things about eduardo perez one way or another yeah i mean i know he was like hired a couple years ago as a batting coach for i think the marlins and served under bo porter as the bench coach for the astros before they got on never really I don't know. It just never worked for me. It never like when I hear him on ESPN, I'm like, he's good, smart guy. Yeah, not not great. I mean, a guy I would have higher than him, of course, is Sandy Alomar Jr. Yep. Constantly in the game, we've tried to hire him multiple times. Had him on the team as a player for multiple times. His brother on the team for multiple times. If we're talking about Eduardo Perez with his pedigree, Hall of Fame uh, dad Tony Perez. I mean, you have Hall of Fame brother of Sandy Alomar. His dad played in the league for a long time, managed a little bit, coached a little bit. So I would rather go with Sandy Alomar in that regard if we're going to go with guys in of that ilk 
and Sandy Alomar would have. And to to be clear, if you listen to episodes before, I am not a fan of AJ Hinch. I am not a fan of Alex Cora either. They would be four and five of the five managers we've named so far. Eduardo Perez, I would put ahead of these guys because they're uh, at least I know Eduardo Perez has integrity, has not cheated the game as yet, and those guys, I don't know if they can manage. They have records that say they do, but uh, to me, they're tainted. So, yeah, it would be Sandy Alomar, my number one choice, my number two choice, Eduardo, then AJ, then Alex, then, uh, of course, coming in last place would be Tony La Russa with that garbage and that old school <laughs> mentality and his comments about Colin Kaepernick. Fuck that dude. P. Han checking in uh, saying that Grace Under Fire was pure trash. Uh, it's a little follow up from <laughs> from a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Thank you, Pete. Though that that email did not get read because we didn't have the mailbag Monday last week. So attack I wasn't it. a big time Grace Under Fire guy, but you know, yeah, it was all right. Absolutely, Trashed a little far. All right, so here, Butler, of course. All right, next up here from Sam and Hinsdale, just asking if he thinks AJ Przinsky could be the next pitching coach. Uh, thank you, Sam from Hinsdale, for checking in as always. You typically you see former pitchers be pitching coaches. Um, you know that that's usually the trajectory when you're working your way through up an, uh, through an organization. I think AJ Przinsky is actually a dark horse candidate as a guy that you should not rule out uh, for Jerry wanting to bring in or, or or Kenny wanting to bring in for an interview. Um, but I would love. You know, you hear, you see the headline: Sox hire AJ, and everyone thinks it's Hinch, but it ends up being Pierzynski. I, I would love AJ's obviously a smart guy and knows how to win. Uh, I would love for him to maybe be a bench coach for whoever comes in. Like granted, now if you have Hinch or Cora coming in, they're probably going to have their own guys, but uh, maybe they can't pry their guys away from from Boston if there's still some guys hanging around there. So I would love AJ Pierzynski at the very least. Uh, in a bench coach role because a guy who knows about sign stealing and pitch tipping and all that stuff and just the, just the, the mental acumen in the game, uh, I think that would be a great presence on the Sox bench. But manager, I don't think so. The problem with him is I remember he came out after David Ross got hired and he's like, yeah, why not me? Like I would love to to manage. But uh, frankly, I think look, the Cubs had a very unique situation there with Ross and they knew he would make an immediate impact because he knew the guys on that roster and it was sort of like their last-ditch effort after Joe Madden was uh, was unceremoniously shown the door. But I, I think maybe AJ's best fit would be starting on the bench as opposed to starting managing a team. What do you think about the prospects of AJ sort of just as a as the next coach to have around, another brain to pick? Uh, I am unlike most White Sox fans who love AJ. I do not love AJ. I understand his his uh, accomplishments here and what he did for the team, and I appreciate it. But uh, he played the game in a style that I didn't like. It was borderline dirty, stepping on dudes' backs to go onto the next <laughs> base. Uh, just it was Aaron Boone. Did, in all, it was Aaron Boone. In all fairness, yeah, like <laughs> like uh, the the missing the ball and completely then run it to first. Yeah. It won us a game, but I mean, let's, what were we doing? Can, let's, let's have some integrity when and win, but <laughs> integrity I'm, not, farms. I'm, I'm not that huge of a fan of AJ and I understand White Sox fans worship the ground. He walks on. If they want to bring him back, I hope not as the main manager because the rag on him, the whole scouting report on him and the, why the White Sox got him in 2005 is because that AJ was not prepared for the pitcher that was going up this day. So the pregame meetings with Minnesota and San Francisco pitchers would be like, uh, 
he wouldn't be prepared, wouldn't have the scouting reports down before the games to meet up with the pitchers to go through a game plan. That kind of was his his bag, and the people in San Francisco hated him for that. And then uh, Minnesota to a lesser extent, but he walks on water in Chicago because he probably got his shit together and had some professionalism about him when he was as a White Sox. Um, bench coach, something, yeah, that really can't hurt might help. I'll be fine with that. If somebody wants to put him on their bench as another resource, a guy that you can speak to about, about the game, fine. But I'm not an AJ guy, so I'm the wrong guy to ask. Yeah, I think I made my case there. I think he is, he is a smart guy, and you know, I think he could help. Uh, just, you know, those bench coaches are there just like as a sounding board and like, a, you know, someone to, to reinforce a good idea or maybe just question a, a possible bad, bad idea. But again, it's not a guy that's going to really help or win, uh, help win or lose a game, really. But a, a guy who I think there's there's potential there. I think he is smart enough and and could maybe teach players that X factor, like, you know, get 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 a team to be a little more grindy, so to speak. I know that a lot of it's cliches or whatever, but there is, you know, he was a certain type of player. And I, I think that's something that could, you could hand down to players that he's, that he's, that he's coaching. Um, and also uh, uh, rally beer. So that was something that apparently started with the White Sox. And he remember, I remember, I think he told Dan Patrick or whoever he told, but it was, uh, you know, they, people, when it, whenever they play with the White Sox and they went out to another team, uh, they would just start drinking beer in the dugout. And they're like, what the hell is this Bush League bullshit? And they're like, oh, we did it with the White Sox. What's wrong? So maybe it's not all great with A.J. Pruszynski. But uh, thank you, uh, as always, uh, Sam and Hinsdale. Uh, moving on here, our guy John Yekest here, episode 64. We're rolling in our 6-4 here episode of Locked on White Sox. Rolling in my 6-4. John Ye says this, with the mutual separation, quote-unquote, of Ricky and Coop now in the rearview mirror, what does that mean for the rest of the coaching staff? Guys like Joel McEwing and Frank Menachino typically seems like the manager gets to make all those hirings or firings to best fit their own personal direction. If you could handpick from people available, the manager, pitching coach, and hitting coach, who would you guys pick? Uh, thanks and all the best. Yeah, so thanks, John Yekest, as always, for being a great contributor and supporter of the podcast. Um, what do you think about that, Herb? What, what what happens to a guy like Joel McEwing and Frank Menachino? McEwing's going to probably get the the standard, you're in, in-house interview, right, you would think? Yeah, probably. Uh, if he was uh, of a person of color, he would 100% get that, uh, just to, to mark that box off. But I think Super Joe will stay in the organization either way you put it, if he wants to. But the next guy will probably move on from him as a as the bench coach right now. And then Frank Menachino, I think he's in there. I think the White Sox are saying to the next guy, you got to come. You When you're coming here, Frank Menachino had so much good luck with the 2019 AAA team and now with the 2020 White Sox. So he's a package deal. This is your new hitting coach. I'm fine with it. He got Adam Engel to turn into a solid player. As we were talking in the uh, last episode, the reserves grades, he got Adam Engel from last year in AAA, and then when he came back to the majors, looked like a new hitter. And then this year he looked solid. And you see this year with the players, they didn't really fall off. We actually had better years from Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson, et cetera. So, yeah, Frank Minikito will probably be the guy next year for hitting coach for pitching coach. I think they love the Matt Zalewski guy. He's a, yeah. I think the triple a pitching coach, 
uh, credited with developing both Matt Foster and Cody Hoyer and some of the other pitchers down there in the minor leagues. So they'll probably go with him or Kirk Hassler. Uh, if I had my own choice, I don't know who I would go out and get. Maybe uh, an old sage like Mike Maddox, but he's been around forever and bounced around forever. So, um, yeah, I would probably think it will be Zalewski. It would be the next guy for the White Sox pitching coach, more of a uh, analytics-driven pitcher, uh, pitching coach than what Cooper would ever be. Yeah, and you know the the Frank Manichino thing. I think this would be a good time to just purge everyone and start really fresh. And if you're bringing, I would love it. Yeah, if you're bringing in a, a top tier manager with the, with with playoff and World Series pedigree like Hinch or Cora, you know you shouldn't have to saddle them with anyone else like that you have. And I think for Super Joe, it's been around since the Robin Ventura era, and he's probably like you know, waiting for a, a real opportunity and he's done a nice job and his limited uh, opportunities to manage, especially this year. But I think that's a guy who's probably going to move on and it's probably the right time for him to move on. He could probably help someone else more or get a fresh start somewhere else. But it seems like and you're looking at this in the lens of just people's careers. It seems like he's hit the glass ceiling a little bit. Uh, Joe McEwing has. So I, w- I wouldn't rule him out as a dark horse candidate. Like a, huh? What? Like a guy who has familiarity with the, with the current roster and a guy's like, Hey, we really like his values on this. And maybe he was one of the guys, you know, stumbling for the analytics. I don't know, but I'm just saying like, that would be so white Sox if they, if they just hired Joe McEwing, I think. Uh, but Frank Medicino, yeah, he said that Luis Robert was his big project, but, uh, what happened there when he looked totally lost at the plate? And I know he can't get up there and grab a bat and hit for him, but I don't know what to do. I, you know, the Cubs change hitting coaches practically every year after they, after they got bounced in the postseason. So I, I don't think it necessarily means you have to keep your pitting, your hitting coach around. But this offense was really good this year, so he, he can make his case and he can maybe. Uh, find himself a job in a good spot next year if he's not retained with the White Sox. So thank you, John Yeh, for checking in. Uh, plowing along here, uh, this is more so of a rant, and we certainly like to give you guys room to rant here uh, in, in lieu of just ask questions. But James in Muskegon, uh, haven't heard from him in a while. James writes this on the topic of Rick Renteria. One, he started Garcia in left field for two playoff games after not seeing live pitching since mid-August, something that we talked about in yesterday's episode. Two, he pinch hit Zach Collins in playoffs and hadn't seen an at-bat since August 19th. Three, he was too dumb to get Eloy off the field when limping around in blowouts or get other guys at-bats then lost him for the playoffs. Four, knowing he would use all his pitchers in game three, he didn't put McCann behind the plate because of Grandal's pride. Dumbest move ever. McCann calls a much better game. That's obvious to everyone but Ricky, I guess. Five, Ricky is a terrible at in, is terrible at in-game strategy with his bench and his bullpen. He rode Encarnacion all season to the last game and then sat him for the playoffs just plain crazy. 5B, Sandy Alomar Jr. kicked his ass. The guy set up three straight pinch hitters, all of which got hits. I can't remember Rick Renteria using three pinch hitters in a game all season. 5C, worst pennant race manager since Jerry Manuel. Getting the seventh spot means in a normal year Rick Renteria's choke job would have cost us a playoff spot. Ricky had to go. James and Muskegon. So, I mean, Ricky's gone. James got his wish. you have anything to, to cap that with? That was a just nicely formed argument there uh, from James. I mean, it's not just about, you know, I hate Ricky and then just spouting off that he sucks. James came with receipts. That's what you got to do. If you're going to be pissed about something, give me the reasons why you're pissed and Hey, man, even though I'm not that guy to be like, hey, fire this guy, hire this guy, and managers matter this much and that much, 
I gotta agree with James. My man James came with receipts and he was was passionate. I could tell he was like hitting those keys real hard when he typed that out. Absolutely. Uh, moving along here in uh, Mailbag Monday edition of Locked On White Sox. Uh, this one here, uh, Hot Take Tommy also uh, checking in says, you know, he's talking about the Central, and a lot of people said it was. Uh, uh, going to be not so good. He, he says, I was told all season that the Central was the better division. It certainly seemed like it was the most competitive all season. However, all three Central teams were bounced in the first round, so it begs the question, is the Central actually bad? Thank you, Hot Take Tommy. Uh, was Is the division bad just because the, the teams got bounced in the postseason? No, not at all. I mean, it doesn't mean it's good if the teams that made the playoffs are all from the division, like the NL Central, four of those teams made it, and they were all unceremoniously uh, kicked out of the playoffs quickly besides uh, one win, I think, from the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, the Central, AL Central, I think pretty strong, usually. And this year, they had three teams that won 35 games plus. Out of 60, that's a pretty strong division. And, yeah, we dominated as the White Sox, dominated the Kansas City Royals and the Detroit Tigers. But ask Cleveland Indians and the Minnesota Twins about those teams. They they gave them all they can handle. So it's while we're bottom is pretty bad, Tigers are coming. And eventually Kansas City will figure this stuff out. And at that time, will Minnesota fall back or Cleveland fall back? Because we know that the White Sox are here for a decent amount of time. But who knows? But I would say the AL Central, if we're ranking the three AL divisions, I would say the AL East, of course, is the best, even though they have Baltimore dragging them down and little of Boston. AL East is strong. You got the Rays who are representing the AL in the World Series. The Yankees are, of course, tough. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays are coming. And Boston, eventually, when they get their stuff together, will be another contender. Two will be the AL Central. And then three will be the AL West. And, yeah, you're like, oh, man, Herb, blah, blah, blah. You bear, uh, the White Sox lost to the A's in the West. How can you say that? The A's weren't better than the White Sox. They just happened to win those three games at the crib. Congratulations to them. And the Astros made it all the way to the ALCS. Should have won it maybe uh, after coming back from the 3-0 de- deficit. But they were under 500 for this year. I'm good. All the rest of the teams under 500 in the AL West. So if we're going to rank the teams or rank the divisions, it's AL East, AL Central, then it's AL West. Yeah, I think AL Central is going to be strong in, in the Tigers next year. I mean, I think just the having uh, Casey Mize there at the top of your rotation, that's going to keep one of the Central teams out of the postseason, I think. It's like whoever did the poorest against uh, a guy like that, you you know, missing you, if you miss the playoffs by a game or two, like you look at what you did against the Tigers, we saw it this year. Like the Sox were able to get fat uh, off Detroit. So I, I think that's going to play a big part next year. And I think, yeah, the, the central's here to stay again. It all depends on what happens in Cleveland. Like if Terry Francona leaves, they may decide that they just want to, to, to gut it down to the studs and just, you know, keep their strong starting pitching and maybe trade Lindor and, you know, push their, their extend their window a little bit, but take a half step back to take a, a big step forward for the next five years. I don't know. It's always a mystery what they'll do, especially with the looming, financial issues that, that we have in 2021 but yeah central is absolutely good man uh but thank you hot take tommy for checking in next maddie mitch from loves park illinois loves park represent bounce to this uh maddie uh-huh, mitch up says in rockford yeah be for shout out to joe dredge yeah um 
Maddie Mitch says this, uh, Tanny and Herbie, hey, fellas, first off, well done with the pod. I really enjoy it. Aw, thanks. Thank uh, most Sox fans agree that the Sox need to sign a starting pitcher in the offseason as well as a right fielder. I, on the other hand, have another idea for right field. Uh-oh. I'd like to see the Sox go into 2021 with the Mazzara Engel platoon again. I think it's reasonable to believe that Mazzara will be better than this year. Engel obviously did very well, especially against lefties. The other part to not signing a right fielder is I'd like to see the Sox give Blake Rutherford or Micah Rodolfo a chance. If either Mazzara or Engel get hit get hurt underperform, you could have Micah Rodolfo or, or Blake Rutherford out there. Also, plan on Eloy falling into another wall or tripping on a sprinkler head or something to give them a chance to come up. I know as Sox fans are a newfound championship window, quote-unquote. We are not supposed to clamor for prospects, but other than obviously Andrew Vaughn, these are the last two position players in that, quote, prospect watch boat that us Sox fans have followed over the last few years. You'd like one of them to be good, as you'll have at least six years of young, cheap control. What do you guys think? Maddie Mitch from Loves Park. Hmm. So you have a championship window opening, and you're going to roll out Blake Rutherford and Mike Rodolfo? What do we think about that? Or not much, I bet. Uh, I I wish I could go with you. They, especially this year, that was a wasted year of their development. I don't care what they say about Schomburg. Whatever. They didn't get major league at bats or even minor league at bats this year. I would rather go into next year. And you heard me say yes, uh, yesterday uh, on the reserves of uh, grading report. If it's just striking out with all the right fielders that they try to get in the off season, and you got to gear back to Norm Mazzara, Adam Engel platoon. I'm not happy, but I'm fine with it because I know at minimum, it's going to be replacement level. And with this team, with all the people that has good hitting and maybe even a little bit better because uh, Adam Ingles' glove in right field, it might be above a uh, replacement level. And sometimes when he faces left-handers, that man can hit and mash. So I will be fine with it, not happy, not satisfied, but to downshift to people who haven't really done it at triple or double A, haven't had any good stats in those reg- in those leagues. I expect them to come up to the majors and do it. It's good. That's uh, that's that's dreaming. That's real dreaming, man. <laughs> yeah, you're you're at the point now where your window is telling you what you should do with certain guys who haven't made themselves more, uh, I guess presentable. You haven't they haven't made themselves more of a commodity at this point. You pretty much know who's going to be a part of this thing, and I think anyone else who's not a part of the big league team right now is at the mercy of being a part of a trade and some guys just develop quicker than others. And your window is open probably a year sooner than we would have thought. But I think guys like Blake Rutherford and Mike Rodolfo are going to be find themselves uh, on on the way out. I don't know if there's no room for them other than with an injury. Um, But I, I would not expect to, to begin this championship window with them saying, Hey, let's, let's, let's check these guys out only because they never really wowed anyone at their minor league level. And I think there was something to the fact that you saw Luis Gonzalez out there above those two guys with some playing time this, this year. Now, maybe they think the opposite. Maybe they didn't want to start their, their, their clock early. If, if they, if they think they're part of the plans, big picture, but I absolutely, I don't think that they're going to be part of the plans here unless it's with a trade. Uh, but again, they just, they, they, they've, they've hit the glass ceiling as well. Like there's, there's nowhere for, for them to go. And I rather live and die with Adam Engel out there in right field, because you know, at least he gives you, uh, decent enough at bats now 
and you know he gives you elite-level defense, whereas those guys, Rutherford and Adolfo, you don't know what they're going to give you. So we'll see. Maybe spring training they can sort of separate themselves a little bit and get themselves back on the radar. But we appreciate your email there, Maddie Mitch and Loves Park. Moving along here, we're, we're wrapping things up here on the Locked on White Sox Mailbag Monday edition. Wrapping it up here, I, I really like this one. This is the one one that I saved from nearly two weeks ago. Uh, this was from our guy. I believe Mike Victor had this one here. He says, I got used to White Sox games nightly over the past two months, and now I don't know what to watch at night. What are you guys watching that I can fill my evening void? Missing the White Sox already. Thank you, uh, Mike Victor, for as always, for checking in. Herb, you watching anything now? Sports-wise or just TV? Just any, any TV. I think the guy just wants something to, to be able to invest in until uh, the, 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 boy, the big league boys uh, break for spring training in uh, February, February, March. Well, it's unsatisfying because it's never going to get finished. But, of course, I'm a, I'm a Aziz Ansari guy. So, Master of None on Netflix. Two seasons. Really quick. 30-minute uh, episodes. I think 10 in each season get through that stuff it'll be real good for you i loved every second of that it was just it just got better in the second season and you can't miss the thanksgiving episode it is probably the funniest uh episode i've seen of that series especially and it 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 plays to what i had at thanksgiving uh goes to uh a black family's Thanksgiving. So it's very uh, common to what I experienced. And then also, I don't know if they're going to ever finish this series, but Atlanta, the series with uh, Childish Gambito, Don Glover. And if you watch that on FX, I don't know if it's on a streaming service or not. I'm sure it is. Excellent. Just a great, great series. I think a little bit better than Master of None, if I'm being really honest with myself. Um, we've already told you about... Uh, the wire and sopranos which you probably have already seen but if you haven't seen those two shows in particular i would invest uh, probably two three two three weeks in those and you'll be done pretty quickly and enjoy yourselves that's the only problem with uh master of none it won't get a third season and it leaves something out there so i'll just leave it at that all right you you uh, tanny uh well mike victor's a smart guy and I, I peg him as a guy who's seen the wire and sopranos already i mentioned already that's what i do on my christmas vacation i watch sopranos from beginning to end because i, I just enjoy it and i think it's the greatest show ever made and that there's something that you can pick up every time you watch it but what i've been watching currently uh i wrote this down because i was like so excited to answer this question uh, something that's on currently right now, there's a five-part docu-series on Showtime uh, on the world-famous comedy store, the Comedy Club, uh, on the Sunset Strip in, in L.A., and Showtime's been doing a great job. Um, it, it's really well-produced, and they've got everyone who's anyone on there as far as interviews, just breaking down the history of this great comedy club in America, and it, it's the way it's shaped the comedy culture uh, since it opened, uh, of course, uh, Pauly Shore's mother, Mitzi Shore, ran the place and she passed away a couple of years ago. But you're talking about guys who, who really got their start there. Um, Richard Pryor, you know, the GOAT. Uh, Jim Carrey got his start there. Um, pretty much anyone who's anyone from, from the West Coast honed their craft. I, you know, Robin Williams out there too. Um, but even any comedian, 
knows that you know you if you're in the east coast you work in the comedy cellar if you're on the west coast you got to make sure you you run your stuff through the comedy store uh, chris rocks in it as well literally anyone who's anyone is in there louis ck makes a brief cameo in there but it's 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 extraordinarily well produced and i love it so much because I, I, I was i've been there one time and I, I fully believe that it's it's haunted uh, with with some of the talent that that's been part of that that illustrious history there. So I've really been enjoying that. They, episode three was last night. Uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I'll probably do that first thing. Uh, you know, after the World Series ends, um, I'll check that out. Also, a new show that I have not seen. I can't vouch for it, but a show that I've loved in the past. But speaking of Chris Rock, is Fargo. Um, it's a great series on FX and they, there's a new storyline for each season, which makes it interesting and, and, you know, spices it up and breaks up the monotony and develops new characters, which I always enjoy. And it's particularly challenging if you're uh, a showrunner is, is getting people invested in new characters, but Chris Rock plays the lead. And I think it's about, um, uh, like sort of like the, the black mafia or, you know, trying to wrestle away the reins of power from the mafia from La Cosa Nostra in the forties, I think. Uh, and Chris Rock is the head of a crime family. And the fascinating part about this series for me is a lot of it was filmed in uh, where I was born, Rogers Park. Uh, you saw a lot of old automobiles, and I think maybe Herb too, you may have seen some of it around Ravenswood and Uptown, but there's a lot of things that were still there that were there in the 40s in Uptown, so they used that for a lot of backdrop, but you saw you know, a lot of these old, beautiful homes in Rogers Park uh, you know, near Sheridan Road. Uh, and they would, you know, use it for, for scenery or backdrop and they'd have all these old cars parked out in front of there. I remember seeing it on, on block club throughout the summer, uh, in late fall last year when they were filming the series. So I'm just incredibly, uh, excited to see, you know, current Chicago used as an old Chicago backdrop. Now I think that it takes place, uh, not in Chicago. I don't know how much of it, if any of it is actually in Chicago. So I don't know if you'll see Chicago landmarks like the green mill or anything like that. So I think they just used it because of the old architecture, but I, I really want to check out Fargo. Um, also I, a show that I can recommend that just ended not too long ago is a show. I think I've talked about on this podcast before, but it's called Yellowstone. It's on, um, the Paramount network, which is not a network that everyone has. And it's not easy to find the show but i i bought the first episode on amazon prime because i just wanted to check it out and i really liked it so i ended up buying the first two seasons because i liked it so much so it's not something that i often do but kevin costner plays the lead in that one and he plays a a, a rancher in uh in montana and it's sort of the the politics that involve with you know you have him living on stolen land from american indians and there's that dynamic, but then there's the dynamic of of corporations trying to come and steal his land. So it's like there's a lot of things going on there at play, and it's like who's working with who, who's working against who, who are the actual villains in here, you know. So it's it's a really interesting show, and they had a really wild uh, season three finale that was like kind of a head scratcher, but it made me want more. So I'm looking forward to that one starting again. I don't know when it is, but that's one's like three seasons deep. So that, that's what I got for you at this point. But other than that, I just, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm, you know, I don't have time to watch a lot of shows, even though I just gave you a, a few great detailed, uh, you know, descriptions of some shows that, that I'm interested in, but mostly it is podcasts. Like I, I check that out every night. You know, Tim Dillon is a new one that I've been checking out a lot. And of course, whenever someone I like is on Rogan, I'll listen to Rogan and watch 
uh, Rogan on on YouTube, like you know, whenever I can. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. I try to stay busy mostly with audio stuff because it's very hard as as a dad with a with a six year old doing at home schooling. It's hard to sit down and, and watch TV uh, at the rate that I would like to. But that's why I'm looking forward to my vacation coming up. Yeah, I am. Uh, I uh, co-sign what you just said. I sounds like that Fargo show is real good. I mean, I don't have FX. I don't think. I don't know. We have a limited channels. Mostly, we only watch sports here. If we do have FX, we barely watch that shit. So, yeah. uh, sounds and sounds interesting though, especially if it's filmed right here in Chicago. Yep. But uh, yeah, that that's all I got. That does it for Mailbag Monday, and uh, yeah, that's it. A, a very spirited edition, and then uh, we apologize for not uh, doing it last week. But obviously, you guys understand with the breaking news. And don't forget tomorrow, Herb, uh, we will finish off our. Off-season grades, we have uh, the starting nine, the, 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 the final nine position players of the 2020 White Sox. We have a grade uh, doled out for each of those guys, and we'll, we'll really put a bow on the, uh, the season that was in 2020. And I don't anticipate us talking much more about the 2020 season after that point, I would think. So, uh, yeah, that, that's all I got tonight. Yeah, and after the feedback I got so far, man, you guys are not happy with my grades. So <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be happy tomorrow when I do a lot of couple of these grades for your, your favorite players. So <laughs> tune in tomorrow. Tune in tomorrow when we give our grades for the starting nine. So for Chris Tannehill, follow him at Twitter at Chris Tannehill. Me, Herb Lawrence, at EcknerWall23. The show is at Locked on Socks, both on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you want to participate in next week's edition of mailbag monday it is locked on socks at gmail.com as you see with that last question it was two weeks ago we read them all not all of them make the show so send them in locked on socks at gmail.com questions comments if you want to just go on a rant like my man did earlier in the uh in the episode do that just write them out and we might read it if it's funny or just we just seems like you have a lot of anger so for chris Tannehill, my name is herb lawrence thank you for listening to this mailbag monday edition of Locked on Socks.